We're going to dive into the Gospel of John, if you want to turn there. Um, I'm doing this road to Pentecost. Now, next Sunday, you saw the screen, Elpidio Dos Santos is going to be. How many remember when he was here before? It's been a long, long time. Only a handful of people remember Elpidio Dos Santos. His English has not improved at all. Uh, he's still got that Brazilian, heavy Brazilian Portuguese accent. But uh, he's going to be here, and he told me, he says, this is probably my last trip to the United States. So he asked me about a date. This was last year, and so we lined this up. And um, how many remember his favorite line? You remember that? What is it? You do the possible and let God do the impossible. And I remember him using as an analogy that you do not need to walk on the water if there's a bridge across the water. You walk across the bridge. If you're in desperation and there's no bridge, you pray for God to let you walk on water. But there's a bridge. Go walk across the bridge. It's really neat. You'll, have, you'll be blessed by Brother Santos being here next Sunday. Um, but on this road to Pentecost, I really wanted to jump right into Corinthians 12, Corinthians 14, Acts chapter 2. But I really felt like that we needed to do some preliminary studies on the Holy Spirit. By the way, if you want a good book... On the Holy Spirit, if you can see this, this is a good book on the Holy Spirit. And this is only uh, a study of the Holy Spirit in the letters of Paul. Gordon Fee is probably one of the most recognized theologians when it comes to just knowing Scripture, and uh, he's a spirit-filled. And so he really gives these people who tries to destroy the, uh, the relevance of speaking in tongues, he really does not help them out at all. Um, he's, he's problematic for that group. But I wanted to dive into that, but I felt like the, the Lord wanted me to do some preliminary uh, studies with you. And uh, last Sunday we talked about the prophetic part of Pentecost, that it was prophesied. Today we're going to look at the promised paraclete. And that's an English-sounding word for what you're going to read in the four passages in John that we're going to look at. So our first passage is going to be in John 14. Before we jump into that passage, um, let me just say something about uh, the privilege of having a copy of the Bible. Now, we take it for granted. I, don't, I, I couldn't tell you how many Bibles I got. I probably have 20-plus Bibles because I don't do away with them. When the binding comes loose, I just put them up. But uh, different translations, there's 7,000. This is the Wycliffe translators. If you ever have not checked out the Wycliffe translators' uh, missions uh, effort, they go into places that sometimes there's not even a written language. It's just uh, phono. It's, it's, it's just voice. And they try to figure out a, an alphabet words, and that's where they go. These Wycliffe translators goes into those kind of places. There's 7,000, a little over 7,000 living languages still spoken today. 7,000. Do you realize how many languages have any part of the Bible in translation? I'm talking about maybe the Gospel of John or Psalms or something, anything, any part of the Bible 
there's about 3,000, less than a half of those languages have any scripture whatsoever in their language. And the languages that have a full translation of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, is a little over 300. And so those, that gap between the 3,000 and the 300 are those that have maybe large sections and they're working on expanding that, but that lets you know how privileged you are to have this book and the way the polls go and the way the surveys go is that many people that call themselves Christians hardly read it. Once a week, three times a week, it really lessens up. Practically every day, it's just a small fraction of people who read this, who read something that much of the world's population do not have it. I wish, I wish we would have a resurgence of a love for this book. A love for the wonder and the awe of us having a copy of Holy Scripture. I wonder how many of you would put up a fight if somebody came into your home and says, by the way, uh, we're, we're removing all Bibles from society. Maybe we'd have a little bit better value of our Bible, right? So I, I, I just hope and pray that God would renew us with a hunger for this book and to research it and to dive into it and see what it says to us. And especially when we're dealing with the subject of the Holy Spirit that has so many people, so many varying opinions and theological statements about the Holy Spirit. But we're about to see what Jesus has to say about the Holy Spirit. Starting in John 13 with the washing of the feet and the Last Supper and going through John 16 is all the dialogue that Jesus had with his apostles on that night at the Last Supper when he was having his last sit-down Seder meal with them. In fact, it just wasn't the last Passover. It was the last anything. When he appeared to them after his resurrection... It was just momentary, and it was to reinforce in their minds that he was alive, but he didn't just hang out with them, and he only appeared to them a handful of times over 40 days. It wasn't like every other day he would go and show himself. It was the were highly selective appearances that Jesus had, sometimes with just maybe two people, like the two on the road to Emmaus. And so it just, just didn't happen all the time. But this last sit-down is his kind of like farewell message. This is, this is goodbye for the most part when you read it. And you get to John 14, and it starts off with those familiar verses that you are familiar with. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. If you believe God... Believe also in me. In my Father's house, we all know this. I think it was a gospel singer that wrote a song, Just Build My Mansion Next Door to Jesus. All those mansions he's got there. But in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will 
I will come again. I will come back. And this is what he's introducing to them. He's introducing his absence and what's going to happen in place of his absence. And he creates such consternation among them that, that they're saying, well, where are you going? And why can't we go with you? And you can understand that these 12 men had hardly made any decision for three years apart from Jesus. He was the one who got up every morning and led them to where they were going, told them what to do, sit down with them. They were the ones who absorbed all of his teaching. They saw his miracles. They saw everything he did, the confrontations with those who were against him. And they were totally dependent on him. And here they're hearing him tell them, well, I'm leaving. And where I'm going, you can't, you can't go with me. And, and they're like, what? Why can't we? And then he gets to this point. And this is verse 16. And he starts talking to them a lot about the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit is a dominant theme in this conversation he's having with them. Because he's trying to let them know that in his absence, there's coming someone to fill in that vacuum and that void. And the first reference that he gives is in verse 16 of John 14. And this is how it reads. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. How many of you, that's the translation you're reading, that's the way it reads. <clears throat> A lot of you don't have that translation, do you? That's the King James. He will send you another comforter. If you're reading it out of the NIV, it says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And if you happen to have the NS, NASB, the New American Standard Bible, it reads like this. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Three different translations uses a different word to translate comforter, advocate, helper. Right after this, Jesus said, I will not leave you. And the King James says, comfort list, which is not the best rendering of that. If, if you've got a translation, it says, I will not leave you orphans. I will not leave you to figure it out. I will, I'm not abandoning you. That's what he's trying to tell them. I'm not abandoning you. I'm leaving, but I'm not abandoning you. You're not going to have to figure things out. You're not going to have to, like, take the baton and run with it. And, and do the best you can. He's not giving them that kind of speech. He is telling them that in his absence, he's going to ask the Father in heaven to send another paraclete. That's the word that's translated. And it is such a rare word in the New Testament, it's only five times used. Five times, four of them in what we're going to read in John. Four out of five, Jesus uses the word. 
The only other place you find that word is in 1 John 2.1. Children, I write to you that you sin not. But if anyone sins, you have a, an advocate with the Father. That's where paraclete, that's the last, that's the fifth use of the word. And when Jesus said, I'm going to ask the Father to send you another paraclete, he's actually saying, I'm the one that's helping you right now. I'm the one that you lean on. But I'm going to send, the Father's going to send you another one just like me who will fill in the gap. And he will be your helper. It has the idea. Now, the, the verb of this, parakaleo, is used a hundred times in the New Testament. It means to come along, help, comfort, be of assistance. I mean, we think of Jesus in terms of a lawyer, but it's not really that. There was terms for lawyers. When it talks about this, it's like, like a, all right, Let's say you're on trial for something or you're being accused of something and you need a character witness. And someone comes along next to you and says, I know this person and I can speak for them. I'm here to help them. I'm here to talk about them. That the, I know the character of this person. That's what he's using this word as. That the Holy Spirit is going to come alongside you and he's going to help you. How is he going to help you? Just that one explanation, the Holy Spirit is going to take the place of Jesus. That sounds like an odd statement. But don't you see that's what he's saying? He says, I'm leaving you, but I'm not going to leave you without somebody to help you. I'm going to leave you as orphans, just abandoned on the street. I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to take up where I leave off, and he's going to continue the rabbinical training that you need. He's going to fill in for what I'm doing. He's going to do it in a better way. That's hard to imagine, isn't it? But he says that later on. So, let me ask you this. Do you think Jesus is making a big deal out of the role of the Holy Spirit? If you look at this like, yes, given the context of what he's saying, that he knows they're, they're, in, they're in serious depression about this, hearing that he's going to leave them, and in the midst of that he says, but cheer up, it's not going to be what you think. The Father's going to send the Holy Spirit, and He's going to reveal things to you, just like I've revealed things to you. He's going to help you. And look at that last word, and He's going to be with you forever, to the end of the age. Now, one, one uh, Bible in a website reads it like this. The Holy Spirit is destined to, place, to take the place of Christ with the apostles after his ascension to the Father to lead them to a deeper knowledge of the gospel truth to give them divine strength and needed, that's needed to enable them to undergo trials and persecutions on behalf of the divine kingdom. The Holy Spirit is going to take the replacement of Jesus in their lives. That's hard to think about that Jesus is leaving them. He says, but I'm going to give you someone. Someone's going to come and it's going to take my place and he's going to pick up right where I leave off. You're not, you're not going to have to worry about this. Now, we all like to have somebody in flesh, right? Not this, like, do you feel the Spirit? Sometimes we look at each other, I don't know, do you feel the Spirit? 
It's kind of like trying to discern the Spirit. But he is saying something that the Holy Spirit is going to make his presence known to you. He's going to step in in my absence, and he's going to direct you. And here's the next place he mentions it in the same chapter, and it's the role of the Holy Spirit being the dependable teacher. He's going to be the teacher. I think over in John, he says, you have this unction, this anointing in you that you don't need any man to teach you. You remember that? But he's talking about you won't need any man to be the source of your truth. The Holy Spirit is going to be the source of truth. He's going to be the one who shows you the true revelation of God. But this is in verse 26. If you'll go just a, a short place down in that chapter. John 14, 26. But the helper, the comforter, the advocate, the Holy Spirit. And here he identifies specifically who he is. He is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, whom the Father was in. And this is a theme throughout all of Jesus mentioning the Holy Spirit. The, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are all working together to cause them to take charge of leading the church. It's going to be on your shoulders, but it's going to be, you're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you the Holy Spirit. This is why maybe in our mind we hear Holy Spirit. We don't think of maybe person. We think of a force or an activity, but it's, he really is the third person of the Godhead. It says he's going to teach you all things. Only a person can teach you. So this is the personhood of the Holy Spirit. This is his role. He's going to teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He won't come up with anything different. He won't come up with a new plan. He's going to take the plan that Jesus put into their lives for three years, and he's going to take that plan and expand it. How does he do that? We'll see that in just a moment. But he will take what the Lord has said to them over three years. Now, if you think Matthew was right, traveling around with the other apostles with a journal, writing down and taking notes, you're totally wrong. Writing material was only reserved for certain people. It wasn't like going down to Walmart and getting a notebook. They just didn't have things to write on. Most people didn't even have a copy of scriptures. It was in scrolls in the synagogue. So for the, about the first 30 years of the church, the preaching of the gospel was from memory. It was words embedded into their souls. They were preaching from the memory of what Jesus told them. But he says, but I'm going to get you a helper in that. The Holy Spirit is going to come, and he's going to prompt your memory. He's going to help you remember what I've told you so that you can preach what I told you to other people. He's going to be your teacher. He's going to be your reminder. The oral gospel, the kerygma that was being preached was an oral message. It was no Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It would be 30 years before there was a copy of the life of Jesus and what he said. So here's these men. They're about to be shoved out on their own, but they're really not on their own, are they? Not according to Jesus. You, you think about how the Great Commission ends, Matthew 28, 20. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
Well, he's actually saying the partnership of the Trinity is involved in what you're going to be doing. Carrying out this gospel to the ends of the earth, you're going to be able to teach people what you've been taught. You're going to be able to teach people what the Holy Spirit teaches you and reminds you. You're going to be able to pass that on to leaders. You're going to develop leaders, and the church is going to grow that way. Not by just one group of people having all the truth. And right in the middle of this new work they're going to be doing, the Holy Spirit descends, stepping into the vacuum of Jesus and making him known and making his words known. You know, Pentecost will introduce a whole different dynamic. But Jesus is going to send already the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to be already involved. I want to take you to John 15. This is the third instance of referencing to the paraclete. And he's going to be the key witness. Really and truly, I would love to jump in on 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. Because I've already... I listened to someone who's uh, totally against speaking in tongues. And boy, that is a bear to try to listen to stuff like that. If I called your name, you would know him instantly. But <laughs> when I hear stuff, I was like, that's not what it said. Now, I'm, I'm giving commentary the whole time. I said, that's not what it said. That's not what the Bible said. Because there's, there's people who will tell you that Pentecost was just for that period of time. It's not for the day. It's not for everybody. It's just for a selected period of time. And they try to press the scriptures to make that experience to accuse people of saying you have a counterfeit experience. It's not a real experience. And they will even say that it's a satanic counterfeit. And when I heard those words, I was like, Lord, Paul, Saul of Tarsus, said he was a blasphemer, but he did it ignorantly. Hopefully this is ignorance because that's a dangerous thing to do. It's, you know, you remember when Jesus said, you can say, you, you can say anything about the Father you can say anything about the Son, but if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, that's the unforgivable sin. You remember, you remember that? And Paul said, I was that. I was dead set that these are a bunch of fake people trying to destroy our religion, Judaism. And it was his mission to do away with them. And he even admitted that he was a blasphemer, but he said, I did it ignorantly. And God's mercy in the midst of his ignorance forgave him. Not only forgave him, he's like, he's kind of like an important person in the New Testament, right? Kind of like he wrote quite a bit of stuff. But I want you to, I want you to just kind of get the, the gist of the Holy Spirit expanding his presence from overshadowing Mary. And um, I, think it was, I think it was in our Hardy's breakfast club that we have down at Hardy's which is a great thing, Thursday morning, 6.30. Anybody can come. It's great. We pray together. But I think it's in that session one, one morning, we were talking about in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son at the very right time. At the very moment of history, 
Jesus was born. Now you think about this. I, I, I'm sorry I think this way, but when a couple in Nazareth had a little baby girl and they named her Miriam, which another rendering to Miriam is Mary, I could just picture heaven saying we're getting closer because <laughs> she's the one. She's the one, that little baby girl. Wait, just wait, we're getting closer. And just at the right moment, he is conceived inside of a virgin, and she gives birth to him nine months later, and it's on. The kingdom of God is on. And it's happening, and it just so happened that when he arrived in the fullness of time, the language of literature that day was not Latin, was not Aramaic, was not Hebrew. It was Greek. And you have this word, paraclete, that really means a lot more than we can just come up with a word. But the Holy Spirit is heaven's paraclete, sent to help you and help me, because he knows we need help and how many know you need help? Amen. Okay, we're, we're starting off from the same spot here. He knew these men just couldn't go off on their past experiences. He knew they needed to have the power of God in their lives. And he said, I'm going to pray the Father, and he's going to give you a helper like me. You're not going to be out there on your own. And this is what he says in John 15, 26. When the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, this whole thing about being sent. Do you realize the word apostle means sent one? That's what apostle means. In fact, Jesus is even called in Hebrews, heaven's apostle. He was sent from heaven as the messenger of God to, re to reveal to us the redemption of the Lord. And so apostles, when it says that the, he, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, you remember that? We live in a day where people are going crazy over this. There's apostle, bishop, holy, reverend, in charge of Africa, pastor. I mean, people are going crazy. I think Dale mentioned that. It's just, they're starting to, I really think today's apostles are really missionaries because they are the ones who are sent. And the Holy Spirit is like heaven's missionary to us. Sent to us, proceeds from the Father, and this is the last part of verse 26 in John 15. He will testify about me. He points to the Father's involvement again, that the descent of the Holy Spirit on the church, within the church, that the Holy Spirit is also referred to as the Spirit of truth. And truth is everything. It's kind of hard to find truth right now, right? You might as well just stop watching news because you don't know what is true anymore. But the Holy Spirit will help you know the truth, the truth that matters. The Holy Spirit is kind of like this. The Holy Spirit will reveal Jesus. It's like John the Baptist introduced Jesus, right? He was going about saying, I'm announcing his arrival 
Jesus comes along and announces the arrival of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes along and introduces people to Jesus. Are you following that? It's this revelation of God that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is, he said that he won't even dwell on himself. He will make known me to you. He will testify about me. Holy Spirit will reveal Jesus. And it's, the word testify is matureo. It means to give a witness. It's like when we witness for Christ, it's the same word. It's being a witness. The Holy Spirit will be the witness for Jesus to us. Way before the explosion of Pentecost, and make no mistake, it was like earth-shaking stuff when the Holy Spirit descended in that upper room. They had Pentecost. But before that, the Holy Spirit was already involved. You remember, you remember when Jesus, after he was resurrected, you remember what he did with the disciples? He breathed on them. He breathed on them, and he said this behind the breath. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Spirit. The Spirit was already working in these guys. Holy Spirit was already in the place of Jesus. Those days that they didn't see a revelation of Jesus, the Holy Spirit was telling them. Holy Spirit was directing them. I don't think the Holy Spirit was directing them to go fishing that night. That sounded more like, well, we hadn't seen him in a while. Let's go fishing. <laughs> and Jesus had one of the most memorable interactions with the disciples that day. You remember that? And, and Peter was the one he was really zeroing in. Peter, do you love me more than these guys? Three times, do you love me more than these guys? Peter, do you love me more than these guys? There's a lot more to that. But here is Jesus appearing to him because he's pulling them back. Feed my sheep. Don't go back to your old occupation. Don't go back to what you feel comfortable with and that you know. Feed my sheep. Be about, let the Holy Spirit to redirect your energy, not going back to fishing, but being fishers of men. This is the whole point. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. He, is, he reflects Jesus. And here's the last one. And this is kind of hard to finish with. But this is for the best outcome. Jesus said, I'm leaving, and it's really good for you that I'm leaving. <laughs> That's hard to process. Right. We've depended on you, and it's really good that you're leaving. This is John 16, 7. It's the best outcome. Listen to this. I, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. It is expedient for you. I think that's how the King James says. It is expedient. In other words, it's best for you that I leave. For if I do not go away, the helper, the comfort, the paraclete will not come to you. <clears throat> but if I go, I will send him to you. It's not maybe. It's I will do this. And this is for your best outcome. This is beneficial for you. This actually works out better for you. If you look at John 14 and 17, right after I, I read verse 14, that uh, I'm going to ask the Father to send you another comforter and he will be with you forever. The next verse says that the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him. You know him. He didn't say you will know him. You know him 
for he is with you and shall be in you. He's introducing a whole different dynamic. This, this wasn't going on until he changed how things worked. When prophets in the Old Testament prophesied, it said the Spirit of the Lord came up on them. And they prophesied. The Spirit of the Lord came upon King Saul. He prophesied. He was, oh, look at Saul. He's one of the prophets. No, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him just for that moment. There was no Spirit indwelling people. It was the Spirit coming upon them and influencing them externally. And what Jesus is saying, the paraclete is not going to be an external helper to you. He's going to be an internal helper to you. And can I ask you a question that I would ask myself? Then why, why am not, I'm not doing better? If he is resident in me, why is my mind sometimes in a thousand different directions? How can we be so distracted when he is not just with us, he is in us? And I think it's calling us back to having an upper room meeting with Jesus. And what he's telling his apostles, he's trying to say it to us now. Listen to what he's saying. He will be, he's with you, but he will be in you. Why was it, it more beneficial for them? Why would it be advantageous for them that Jesus leaves and the Holy Spirit comes? Why would that be? The praise team can come on up. What would be the benefit? Hmm? He could be everywhere. All the ministry that Jesus did, there's only one place we know that in his ministry, in the three years of he ministered, that he stepped out of Israel proper. And when he was up in Tyre and Sidon, and that's when the woman had the demon-possessed child came to him. She's not Jewish. She came in, burst in on the meeting, and said, you need to help my daughter. And that's... The classic thing you remember that he says, it's not right for it to give the children's bread to dogs. And she says, well, Lord, at least we get the crumbs. He said, you have great faith. What he was saying is, he, he, what he was saying, Bertha, is what Dale said to you, stubborn faith. He said that woman, you, you're not going to accept no for an answer. You can go, your daughter's okay. That's the only time Jesus ever did ministry outside of Israel proper. Only time. And everywhere he went, you know who was with him? Those guys. He wasn't preaching in Judea and in Galilee at the same time. He wasn't over in Jericho and over in Capernaum at the same time. But he said, this is the advantageous thing about it. The Holy Spirit is going to come into you, and he's going to energize you to be like me. And you're going to take the message hundreds of miles apart from each other, and this thing is going to explode. In some way, I believe Jesus is saying, you know, you guys just get ready. You haven't seen anything yet. I think that's what he's saying. He, he did say that. I think I can say he did say that because I just said that, right? It's my, it's my right to say that because he did say this. The works that I do, you will do also. He didn't stop there, did he? Greater. 
and you will do greater works. Oh, what kind of greater? Blind eye see, walking on the lake in a storm. It's not what he was talking about. He's talking about the different points of influence. Listen, in this room, all of us have points of influence. We have, we have people who are around. Hopefully, we're around people. And we have an opportunity to influence people. And he says, I'm resident in you to influence your setting. I'm resident in you so you can influence your setting. And all of us together become the advantageous action of having the Holy Spirit. The question is, does he have us? Does he have us? I think that was the struggle up in Galilee when they all went fishing that night. And they fished all night and woke up and somebody was cooking breakfast for them out there. And Jesus, you guys catch anything? No. Throw your net on the other side. And the minute that net had that vibrating feel of fish, <laughs> Peter looked at him and said, it's him. And he didn't even wait for them to get to the shore. He got out and swam. What Jesus was saying to him, you don't have any idea what you're going to really catch until you listen to me. You've got to love me more than you love people. You've got to love me more than you need this. And I think Peter was the one who orchestrated that fishing trip. Just, I don't know that for sure. But he's kind of like the, the brass one, right? And he's telling him, Peter, there's leadership in you, buddy. But you got to love me more than you love these people around you. And I think that's the case today. We're going to get to Pentecost. We're going to get to that study. But do we really understand how much the Holy Spirit is involved in our lives? That voice, that voice that that tells you you shouldn't have done that, you shouldn't have said that. If you have this prick in you, he's like, man, I don't think I handled that right. The Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. I tell you what, the Holy Spirit will let you know when you disrespect someone. I mean, you might not know it right then, but before the day is over, now, if you're open to him speaking to you, he's like, you know, you didn't do that right. And for the life of me, I don't know why people just can't talk to each other. just can't talk to each other. But they'll go talk to somebody else about somebody. You know, somebody hurt their feelings, they're going to go tell everybody, but that person. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit should be working on you. He should be working on you. But that's wrong. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. That's carnality. So this is where the Holy Spirit operates in us. We can, we can quench Him, right? The Bible says, quench not the Spirit, which means it's possible to quench the Spirit. Grieve not the Spirit. It's possible to grieve the Spirit, to have the Spirit withdraw from us to some degree because we're like, we refuse to listen to it. Lord, I pray this morning that we would see what a big deal this is. 
you would not leave these men without a night of teaching. And in that, you wanted them to know they would not really be alone. Forgive us for not giving the Holy Spirit access to our lives, access to our decisions. Forgive us for having a lack of sensitivity to His voice, for dismissing our sin without listening to the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit. We welcome, Holy Spirit, we welcome you to teach us. <clears throat> we welcome you to reprove us, to convict us, to remind us of the purpose of God in our lives, to warn us when we're heading in the wrong direction, and maybe you're working this morning in some of us that are sitting here and we realize that we've been ignoring the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, today I, I just pray that as a people we'll say not, no more, no more. I, I'm going to purpose to listen to the Holy Spirit because He is your replacement, Jesus. He is here to pick up where you left off. Stand with me.